0: Welcome back to Silk Flowers and...
1: Paper Mache Hearts. We are your hosts, Eric Hart.
0: And Ashley Flowers. And today we are joined with a fantastic Zoe Morset. Thank you for joining our show
2: today, Zoe. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're really excited to have Zoe on. She's a freelance prop builder in New York City. And since 1984, she has built props, models, costumes, and puppets for 53 Broadway productions. Dozens of commercials and print ads, feature films, television shows, theme parks ice shows ballets mm-hmm. operas and the macy's parade
2: yes i have over 600 pieces in the parade i'm sure some of it's been retired at this point <laughs> but i did build that many pieces oh wow, wow. a lot of it in my apartment <laughs> you know, <behind> the <laughs> studio
1: oh wow so i've seen some of your work on various facebook groups and i don't remember exactly what i saw first but uh I distinctly remember you were one of the artists creating bodies on the Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, which was just on Broadway. Um, yeah. Do you want to start off talking about that project? Cause that sure. was a, uh, that yeah, was a big Gary, pile of dead bodies.
2: <laughs> big pile of bodies. Yeah. Gary was very interesting. I was hired by Gerard studios and that's John Gerard and Mary Creed who are old friends of mine. I've known them for many, many years. And I do occasionally go in when they are shorthanded or they need Mm -hmm. someone specifically to pattern foam since that's something that I sort of specialize in. And that's exactly what they wanted for the bodies. Mary had called me and said, could you come in just for like three days? We have to do these specially rigged bodies and they need a different shape on the various uh, gags. So I went in and I ended up being there for a month (laughs) (laughs) Because once I got going, she said, well, could you stay a little longer? I was like, sure. (laughs) And uh, because I didn't have a a show up at the time. So that was fine. And and I enjoy working out there because they have an amazing space in Red Hook right on the water. You can see the Statue of Liberty. And, Mm. uh, you know, it's just glorious kind of going over there. It's sort of like my neighborhood used to be, uh, Long Island City, when it was more Uh industrial. uh It's still very much that way over there. So, uh, the bodies, they were given um, many, many of these cheap stuffed dummies that were like, they were so cheap, they were like 50 bucks. Oh, and yeah. This is the way the producers were going to save money. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you heard that yeah. one before, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's redo these bodies into what they needed to be because they weren't very stuffed and they had very little shape to them. So we ended up using them, but then to give them more shape, we actually glued sort of what I'd call foam appliances on. Like we added sort of pads of sculpted foam on, you know, the thighs and on the butts and everywhere, actually, you know, to beef them mm-hmm. up and give a little more musculature. And then we got um, actually full head rubber masks and some really kind of grotesque faces, because these needed to be grotesque looking. And we uh, filled those out and attached them to the bodies. It was kind of Mm -hmm. cool because one of the people there who's really good at rigging and stuff, she created um, an effect where there was uh, a reel inside that had many yards of painted tubing that had to look like guts. And what I had to do was create a flap in the side of the body that actually had a magnetic closure so it could work night after night after night where the actor sticks a knife into the side and right inside the, just the end of that tube is just Mm. lightly attached with Velcro so that you could easily grab it. And then you pull it out and pull it out and pull it out and pull it out and pull it out. And Mm. it's, it's really funny. (laughs) Supposed to look kind of weird and grotesque and fake. And it did, you know, uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then another one, they had to um, bleed and they had to work out with bladders. What was the right amount of blood, what to use for blood? um, Because, you know, there's always the issue of costumes getting stained and all of that. Mm -hmm. And they also needed it to flow at a certain rate. So they experimented, experimented with several different fluids. I should say. And then there was a real, real specialty one, just one uh, body that had, uh, well, they all had penises. That was my first job, was patterning balls and penises for <laughs> Santo Laquasto to come and check out with his assistant. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very funny because the first time they came to look, and I hadn't worked with them in years and years and years, I'd worked on the Goodbye Girl with him. And uh, they look at my sample and both guys are kind of like, that's kind of big. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, I don't know who you've been with, but <laughs> I thought it was a very nice size. And he said, well, you can keep that one, but why don't you make the others different sizes and make no, none bigger than that. Make some smaller. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of thing that happens when you do bodies, you know, and these were naked bodies, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then, One had to be rigged so that when Nathan Lane pushes down on it, the penis goes erect and squirts him in the face. (laughs) So you know the poor woman who is actually building this rig and testing it out on the other side of the room, we are chuckling you know, throughout the day. And she said, okay, come and see it, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) demonstrated for us. So that was a lot of fun, you know. And then I had to do one body that was actually not grotesque, so they actually got one of those um, mannequins that has kind of a, a, a cast foam, you know, soft mm-hmm. foam form on it, because it had to be a good-looking body. Actually, the name of the character in the show is the Handsome Prince, I think, or the yeah, the Handsome Prince. <laughs> so I had to um, build up his musculature by adding foam and sculpting it, and then skinning it again. Mm-hmm. Probably, I think probably used a nude leotard. Or unitard. Mm-hmm. For that. Oh, yeah. And then he got some costume pieces because there were also some shields and things, you know, involved with all of this. So that was a really interesting show to work on. And it was really nice. They did invite us to see it. And I was really impressed. I thought it looked fantastic. But there also had to be that pile of 100 bodies. And what they did is they sent that out to um, an upholstery place upstate that I don't know if Santo knew it or his assistant knew it but they knew somebody and, you know, obviously they couldn't pay us to do a hundred more bodies. We were doing like maybe 12 or 13 specialty bodies, you know,
1: the ones with all the tricks and stuff.
2: Yeah. All the ones with the tricks that was us and uh, the rest all went upstate and we sent them patterns for what we had done if they wanted to, you know, use those to add to them. So that's how they got it done. But it was a, it was a real push. Because every day we're getting changes, you know, like, you know <laughs> yeah. goes. and, you know, oh, could you do this? Could you add that? You know, but in the end, I think they were very happy with it. And I thought they looked great. Mary's a really good painter. And she did the final painting, which was kind of a gross splatter. They were very dirty looking. And, you know, of course, they were yeah. definitely dragged into the castle and everything. So mm-hmm. and they were true grotesques. So that was a lot of fun. And the the first time I ever did a lot of bodies was for the original Les Mis for Broadway. I was working at uh, UQ Rollins, MRA in Brooklyn, which was the biggest prop shop in New York back in the mid 80s. Mm -hmm. And we did the entire prop package, everything from dead bodies to breakaway chairs to leather satchels. You know, you name it, we built it if it was a prop. We had a big crew, nice big craft crew, you know, carpentry, welding, everything. And... That was fun because I had to develop a body that looked very realistic, and Berman's in London, who's known for their um, uniforms, were going to make the uniforms. So we just had to do the bodies. Mm-hmm. And what I did is I borrowed a, a mannequin, like a male mannequin that was a very average size, you know, about six feet, forty inch chest, sort of the perfect, you know, proportion. And I literally draped a pattern on it and uh, made a canvas body. But then inside of that, we built a skeleton with PVC pipe, and we used mostly um, like eye hooks for joints. But uh-huh. every, everything had correct rotation, so nothing could over rotate. So there was a stop at the elbow. I worked with the head carpenter, and he developed a round ball joint for the knee, and oh, cool. pivot. It was really cool. Then we did uh, life cast rubber heads and hands, and. I could just do a simple foot because they were going to be wearing, you know, boots or something. But then after we got the perfect bodies, we had to do five for each production. So once we did the tours too, it was five for every show. So they Mm -hmm. couldn't all look identical. So Liz Goodall, who was sort of one of the head crafts people there, she was very good at painting and wigging and stuff. So she changed up all the faces and then I added foam parts. So one guy had a bigger gut, one guy had bigger pecs, you know, bigger arm muscles, whatever. And mm-hmm. then we had to send all those measurements to London. And it was kind of fun because, of course, they needed a name for each dummy. So we asked <laughs> people we liked or didn't like particularly. Oh, so penny What the dummy looked like. So it was like Jacques and, uh, you know, Michel or, or whatever. And because they had to label the costumes. So mm-hmm. that was a huge project. But, you know, those kind of shows, you usually have months, like, three, four months maybe to work on, or even longer sometimes, depending on the show. They start so far ahead because they have to, you know, Mm -hmm. that was a lot of fun. And in fact, John uh, Napier, the designer came in and he was lovely. It turns out he was, he was a sculptor and he never saw a live show till I think he was in his Mm twenties. And here he became this huge designer, you know, in England and Broadway. And I was going to make the, um, the tricolor, the huge wool serge tricolor that hangs on the back of the stage, yeah. and so they showed me the black and white photos to show me what they had done in London. And the way they had constructed it, there was like a, a burlap strip across the, the top that normally would you know be on the inside, and then there were tabs to hold it onto a pole. But their top was like flapped over so you saw the burlap. And I said, you want me to make it just like that? <laughs> he said, no, no. He said, "Make it, you know, make it pretty." <laughs> and he said, "No, uh-huh. exactly." And that's something you always have to check because I have gotten uh, drawings sometimes, and you know, usually they're drafted on the computer these days. Mm-hmm. And some people don't double check their measurements. Sometimes oh, yeah. we were doing, yes. yeah, <laughs> we were doing um, a brand new Nutcracker for the Joffrey Ballet doing huge wonderful props for that for that whole show years ago same studio um mra and i had to do a four foot a giant teapot we were going to get the ball the fiberglass ball from seal fiberglass because why reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. <laughs> <You don't laughs> four foot ball or sphere and what i had to do was to sculpt the handle and the spout and i'm looking at the drawings And I'm, you know, I'm looking at the elevation, I measure like how far the tip of the spout is from the ball. But then Mm. I look at the plan view and it's a different measurement and it's the same piece. (laughs) And I find Mm. that people who especially people who don't sculpt or work in 3D, this is where they slip up a lot because I can only sculpt it one way. Which way do you want? You know? So I brought it to the attention of the assistant designer, and I think he's the one who actually had done it, you know, because I'm like, where do I go from here? You know, this is like hundreds of dollars worth of urethane. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's happened a lot over the years, actually. So
1: yeah, you had that stage directions article a few months back where you talked about the uh, the donkey on Shrek and some of the other cool props there. Um,
2: yeah. Tim Atley did a fantastic job designing that costumes and scenery, and uh, I really like. Uh, working on that show, the donkey. Now this is interesting. It might be interesting for younger people who are wondering about bidding. I know that I am bidding against several other studios, depending on the show, but especially on a big show or a Disney show. And I know sort of the level that some of those studios bid at. And, you know, a lot of them are really good friends of mine. I'll be bidding like against Gerard studios, for instance, Mm -hmm. And I really, really wanted the donkey. And I knew that my friend, one of my friends, would also be bidding on the donkey. And I know that our bids are always really close. Well, there was another piece that was so perfect for his studio and not for mine. First of all, because he has bigger doors and it was a big piece. <laughs> and so I purposefully I didn't bid at all on the large head of Farquad. Mm-hmm. And I Originally, had put my bid down for the donkey, but before I turned it in, I cut my bid by $500, hoping mm-hmm. to just undercut my friend. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought, he'll yeah. get the head, you know? And that's exactly yeah. what happened. He got the head, I got the donkey. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, which was great for me. Because he has a crew and I don't, and the head was something, it was so big, it was something it would be very difficult, really, to do by yourself, you know? Yeah. Just trying to
1: move it around by yourself. (laughs) I always hate giant props like that.
2: And also, you know, like when I do um, what I call wearable props, you know, the costumes I do are not clothes. They tend to be really dimensional sculptural things, you know, like the Saturday Night Lives or the 30 Rocks. And if you don't have someone to spot it on you, like, you know, if you're trying it on or... Sometimes, like you said, if it's so big, you need to have two people, it can be really difficult, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but the Shrek donkey was interesting. Um, the way I usually start is I need a model, you know, a maquette of the item. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, usually you would sculpt that in a, whatever scale you want, but I was able to actually find the donkey toy online on eBay. huh. So I bought donkey. It was much faster than trying to sculpt a little donkey.
0: Yeah.
2: And then I um, pattern the miniature. Then I just blow up those patterns, and those are my foam patterns. And the thing about Donkey, he had to be as light as possible. Um, He was, the width was about 43 inches from nose to butt end, Mm -hmm. and I got it down to seven pounds, the whole thing. Oh, wow. It was really light. And this was going to be a a dummy that was going to be dropped from the flies at the beginning of the show. If you remember the movie, donkey falls from the sky Mm -hmm. and that's how they were going to start the show. So it's kind of a big laugh moment. And they originally um, opened it in Seattle, I believe. And they, I know it got a huge laugh, they said, and uh, it got dropped into a pit and they were trying to debate how, you know, we're going to drop it on Broadway. First it was going to be into a big open tree stump or whatever. But that wasn't my issue. That's a scenic issue. So I'm just making a donkey. So (laughs) no one was ever supposed to get under the donkey where it was falling. But in Mm -hmm. case someone was in the wrong place at the wrong time, I had to make sure there was nothing in it that could possibly hurt an actor. So there isn't a single piece of metal or hard anything inside of it. It's all um, patterned ever dry for the body. Ever dry foam is actually boat cushion foam. It's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things because it lasts for years before it will oxidize. You know, regular polystyrene oh, yeah. foam will turn to dust, but this stuff yeah. is amazing. You can pattern it, you can sculpt it. It's, you know, it's an aerated foam, but it's very stiff and really holds its shape. And then what I did is I took ether foam rod, like maybe a five or six inch diameter piece and did a rod between the shoulders and the hips. So that kind of stabilized the shape and mm-hmm. The head was sculpted solid out of um, what we call ELE packing foam. It's what's in a camera case, that dense gray foam. Oh, yeah. If you're sculpting by hand in foam, in flexible foams, you want a foam that's very dry and not rubbery. If it's rubbery, it'll bounce off of your blade. Right, yeah. Particularly like um, the upholstery foam.
1: Just the regular upholstery, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's too rubbery, you know. But Mm -hmm. the other foam is real dry, and you can just slice through it with a blade. It's beautiful. You know, I use... Mm -hmm. Persona blades. I have a custom brass handle with a set screw so I can get better leverage. And uh, and I also use the Ulfa um, the Snap-Off knife, but it's not one you can find in stores. You can only find it online. It's got a narrow blade. I think it's about three-eighths inch, but it's a 30-degree mm-hmm. angle, and it never snaps off when you don't want it to. It never breaks off accidentally, which is mm-hmm. you know, unlike the 60-degree ones. Yeah. So what's nice is because the blade's so thin and long, you can extend it and you can actually cut curves and stuff. You you can really do nice stuff with it. And it sculpts that foam beautifully. So the body um, was hollow, you know, with those rods inside to stabilize it. And then what I was able to do, they were going to do an electronic drop from the flies. And I just took, um, you know, the bicycle cables that have the loop already built on the end. I fed that through the back of the donkey on the spine, looped it around the rod, you know, one around each rod, and looped it into itself, so there's no way it could possibly come undone. And then that was fed to just outside the donkey's spine. And I kind of hid it in um, his mane. I did a little short, scruffy mane that's uh-huh. actually quite solid. But what I also did is I inset a large zipper into the spine because I know what happens to my props once they leave my hands. If someone on the show is trying to fix something, it can get destroyed. <laughs> yep. First of all, they didn't build it. They don't necessarily know how it went together. And some of them just don't have the craft skills, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, Some of the people yeah. running shows when they try to repair stuff. So I thought, I'm going to put a zipper in it. So all they have to do is unzip it and they can see the whole inside. If they mm-hmm. ever want to change out the cable or anything. They could do that. And that worked great. And uh, I was really happy with it. They loved it. And I made the ears really flat and the tail really flat so that when it dropped, because I think it dropped about 25 feet, those mm-hmm. elements would fly straight up. And I made his eyes bug out. Mm-hmm. And his mouth was slightly open.
0: <laughs> and then it gets Amazing. Broadway,
2: and they cut it from the show.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
2: Oh. And the excuse I got was... They didn't have a good place to drop it. And I'm thinking, you knew what theater you were going into. (laughs) Right. You know, and it's like, this has happened on so many Broadway shows, which is very disappointing how many props end up in a dumpster or not used or in Mm -hmm. storage, you know, because they get cut. Because when I started out, my first Broadway shows were in the early 80s. The designers used to have figured out. Every placement for every single piece that went backstage or in the flies, yes. it was so mapped out. And I find in recent years, I don't see as much of that kind of detail. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I've worked on shows where they tossed loads of props, never even made it to opening night, you know, and there's really no reason for that much waste. Oh, you know, I agree. Kind of pet peeves. And it's not that, you know, of course you're sad because <laughs> you don't see your stuff. But it's more like I just feel like that's why shows cost so much. <laughs> that's one of the mm-hmm. reasons, many reasons. Yeah. But that's when budgets run over because it wasn't planned well, you know. And, uh, when you, you know, when you work either in a university setting or you're working regional or off-Broadway or off-off-Broadway, you don't have that kind of money to waste, you know. And I think sometimes in the smaller theater settings, people are so much more careful about what they're doing, which I really yeah. appreciate you know, because I was just doing a university job and, you know, you have a budget. That's yeah. Yeah.
1: You have $12 for props (laughs) and you have to buy the batteries. So (laughs) there's eight, there's
2: $8. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. In addition to a lot of Broadway productions that you've done, you've done a little bit of television and I know you've worked on Saturday night live, which is drastically different from theater production. What is, um, the differences that you found was, you know, tight turnarounds on props and all of that.
2: Yeah, Saturday Night Live. I've only done costumes, but like I said, it's the really dimensional, sculptural ones. And for Thirty Rock, you know, it's the same designer, Tom Broker is the costume designer for both shows, and that's mm-hmm. how I got Thirty Rock because I was already doing SNL mm-hmm. you know, as an outside vendor because they have someone there who I've known for many, many years, who's sort of full time who does a lot of their props and costumes, but sometimes they'll have a skit that's very proper costume heavy Mm -hmm. and you can't do it all. And then they they have a list of vendors and they know everybody won't be available because they're calling you a couple days before it's due. So they just start going down their vendor list, you know, and I'm on that list. And what they do is the writers finish Wednesday if you're lucky, you might get an email at eleven o'clock or eleven thirty Wednesday night to see if you're mm-hmm. available. If you are, it's like good. I'll send you research in the morning, and then you have two days to build whatever it is, and it's due oh, wow. at, at you know at the NBC studios on Saturday for rehearsal. And uh, so that is a huge push. Thirty Rock was. Pretty similar. My old studio, though, was right across the street from Silver Cup. I'm still in that neighborhood in Queens. It's great. But I could literally run up the block for a meeting, which I loved.
1: That's uh-huh. amazing.
2: Yeah, you know, I started by doing costumes there. Again, the structural ones. The first thing I had to do was a giraffe, you know, oh, cool. for a, a knockoff of the Lion King. And uh, But then the prop guys got my name from the costume people. And I ended up actually doing more props than costumes. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I'd get their calls. I'd get this rush of adrenaline because it was always something totally insane that they needed in two days. Sometimes they needed it in half a day. Sometimes they needed mm-hmm. it in three days. The most I think I ever got was three or four days. Right. So like, wow. A typical one, um, they did a scene for 30 Rock where um, the character of Jack is opening a a sofa outlet and they actually – rented the loading dock below my studio to look like the entrance to the factory, since I'm (laughs) a factory building. (laughs) And they had a real couch, which was like a brown velvet with welting and everything, you know, like a two-cushion couch. But they wanted me to build the mascot for this company, Couchy the Couch. (laughs) And it had to look just like that couch, and someone had to be able to stand up in it. And, you know, with a Mickey Mouse glove on one hand. Yeah. Out. Oh my goodness. And I said, you couldn't pick one that didn't have welting on the seams. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I literally had a weekend to build an entire couch and upholster it and have it only weigh a matter of pounds, you know. Oh my. And I did it. It looked great, you know. But it was so funny because one of the stagehands said to me, oh, what did you do? Strip an old couch? And I'm like, yeah, I put a a solid Oak frame on a person. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can you imagine someone having to haul around a whole couch?
1: Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: You know, I use like super, super dense Y 20 foam for some of the framing and uh, you know, it was all foam and velvet, you know, basically mm-hmm. it worked out, but that was the kind of thing I would get. Or at one point it was some, um, I got a call from the prop master and he said, I need a couple of D batteries that they can throw at Tina Fey. But a D battery really hurts, you know? Right, yeah. So he said, we can do the graphic wrapper, but I need something really light and it has to have those cap ends or the look of those cap ends. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a half a day to do it, you know? And he said, we have some fake ones, but they're really cheesy looking and I know the director's going to hate them. So I'd like <laughs> to have yours in my back pocket. So, <laughs> so you know that was, would be the kind of job i would get bizarre things yeah. i had to make a football that had to be thrown at someone's crotch and not kill him. you know <laughs> so, mm-hmm. this is where tv props are kind of fun you know you go into manhattan go to a sporting goods store and i don't want to buy a football i want to measure a football mm-hmm. so <laughs> i go with my tape find a nice young associate. And the thing is, it's great if you can say I'm working on SNL or I'm working on 30 Rock. They're very happy to help you. Okay. And I said, I, I'm not sure if, you know, I want a junior size football or full size. I don't know this difference in them. Can I measure one? Sure. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to be a little devious, you know, right. and I did get the measurements and then I was able to copy it and make one out of foam. <laughs> That's amazing.
1: And was uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt the same team as that? Or how did you get
2: yeah, you did some props for she, that? Yeah, is very loyal to her crews. And so she yeah. brought over uh, several of the costume people and also the pro- head of props. And that's how I ended up getting work on that show, which was just over the bridge from my neighborhood in Brooklyn. So I could literally uh, just take the bus over the bridge with whatever I had. And right. that was really fun. I did some fun props for them. Like I had to do a, a realistic looking, um, two actually, large turtle shells that the little rich boy and his friend were going to wear as if they were playing Ninja Turtles. Uh-huh. then the was going to come up to him and say, oh, where'd you get the cool shell? Oh, my father bought it in Madagascar. You know, <laughs> so it had to look like a real shell, you know, so mm-hmm. that was a pattern foam, burned in, incised some lines and then a paint job. Unfortunately mm-hmm. for me, I um I went over, did the fitting, um because I had the basic shell made, and mm-hmm. on my way home, I got off the bus and there was a bad place in the sidewalk and I tripped and broke my clavicle. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Right. And had to go to the hospital. I didn't did I go to a hospital? No, I actually just went to um the doctor first to make sure it was broken and then they put me in a sling but I still had to deliver in another day. So I went back to my studio and I managed to finish the sculpting with one hand and paint them both left-handed, but I'm somewhat ambidextrous. I'm, I write right-handed. I throw left-handed. I can paint and sculpt left or right. So I Mm -hmm. finished them with my left hand, but of course they're sliding around because I can't grab them with my other hand. (laughs) (laughs) But I called and told them what had happened, so they were nice enough to send someone to pick them up, so at least I didn't have to deliver. But I got them right. in on time, <laughs> and then they cut the scene. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. But um, a lot of the TV stuff, um, just like with theater, it's knowing materials. Um, mm-hmm. Like with Kimmy Schmidt, there was an issue of—I uh, think it was the first episode or the second—she has to make a scarf out of her cellmate's hair auburn in mm-hmm. black and they had called me I say Kevin you know I don't knit you know call Chris Bobbin she does professional knitting and any kind of needlework right so they called Chris and uh she did what I would have done initially she got some long wig hair and tried you know crocheting it or whatever but it was too slippery yeah And they didn't like it and they called me back and I said if I could weave it like a potholder <laughs> Because they wanted squares you know of alternating colors I uh-huh. said I could do that and I could use um crepe hair because crepe hair is actually mm-hmm. pure wool and it's mm-hmm. not shiny or slippery and they and so I did a sample i had some in my um, bag of hair <laughs> as we all have <laughs> <some>. <laughs> Right. and uh they said oh that's great that's great and I was lucky that alcone is in my neighborhood you know the makeup supplier yeah. and they also have things like wigging and stuff. And they had um, crepe hair by the yard, which is very hard to find. Usually, you know, you go to a Halloween store or something and you can only get a yard or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted a lot. So I was able to buy yards of it, but it's all kinky because it's got that thread in it. So yeah. I had to steam out about 120 feet of it. <laughs> Thank God I have a steamer. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> And I bought it for another job where I was like, I'm not going to iron 100 costumes. I'm buying a steamer. (laughs) Uh Every tool ends up being really useful for other jobs, you know. So I uh, ended up doing that and steaming (laughs) it out, wove it, and Tina loved it. She just wanted us to add in, which was no big deal. And and they were able to use it. So that was great. (laughs) That's awesome. Then I was thinking about on Shrek, some of the other stuff I did for Shrek – that was really fun. I had to do his giant martini glass. Oh right. And I actually found a plastic 48-ounce martini glass online. You know, I had to buy six of them, which was fine because I knew I'd be replacing them. And it had to look like he had used a funnel and you know, so I had to cut the stem off and cork it and then make wire legs that look like twigs that were attached to it. And then Usually when I do drinks, um, you know, for Broadway, we never actually have liquid in something unless someone actually has to drink it. It's Mm -hmm. almost always a coating on the inside of the glass or it could be a resin fill. Mm -hmm. So for this one, I actually took um, like bathroom caulk and I stained it with um, that fake stained glass stain. And I made Mm -hmm. this really gross kind of green gook. And I smeared it around the inside of the glass, up you know to about an inch or so from the top. And then I made—they didn't want an olive; they wanted an eyeball as an olive. <laughs> <laughs> with a tw- so I I did a ping pong ball, you know, painted it up,
1: uh-huh.
2: painted the bottom half of it with that same green. And then when I stuck the pick through it and attached it to the glass, I made it so it looked like the bottom of the olive was mm-hmm. sitting in the liquid, which wasn't really there, you know, just mm-hmm. to push that, that visual. And it worked out really well. It worked out really well. It was the opening of the show. He grabs the glass off of the um, mantelpiece, takes a sip, tosses it into the wings. And if, mm-hmm. of course, someone is supposed to catch it, but that didn't <laughs> always happen. <laughs> so right. I would get um, a call to, you know, do another one. They always <laughs> had a <that> backup though. <laughs> that they needed to. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that was a fun piece, and uh, awesome. I actually did, a, and I did signage for them too. There's a scene where there's kind of a parade of signs going by upstage, and uh, oh, I know, I had to do a pigs at work sign, and I called the assistant and I said, I still don't, you haven't sent me any, you know, image for that, and they were so busy because there's so many props in that show. He says, well, could you do it? I said, sure. So that was really <laughs> fun. I actually got to design the image so I looked oh, up nice. men at work signs and I altered it and made it a pig at work, like digging into a pile, you know, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I got real signage material, the, um, the glowing orange, you know, stick on film that you can use for actual street signs. Yeah. And I did um, black on top of that. And so that was a really fun little, you know, design thing to do. I had a mm-hmm. great fun way because, awesome. you know, Broadway, technically the, um, scenic designer is the prop designer now sometimes you'll get incredibly detailed drawings that you'll be given you know like at the bid session but Mm -hmm. sometimes it's it's almost all verbal almost Mm -hmm. you know especially if it's someone you've worked with a lot they'll say this is what we need this is how big it has to be you know so there's not always a drawing and you know so it's a lot of research a lot of research on materials and images and that's Mm -hmm. what i love the computer for yeah, right. Best thing is for photos of things. Yeah, and I also keep a hard file. I'm big on backup. I'm I'm really big on hard files. I started collecting animal pictures decades ago, and I have a file just of different animals because I end up sculpting and making a lot of animals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to get Natural History magazine. It's a wonderful reference because they have if they do an article say on a fox, they will have every angle. Photographed of that fox, yeah and you might think that you know color in your head, but you don't really. You really need <laughs> to look at a photo. There's probably ten different colors in a fox's fur. Yeah, you know. So all of those references, when I sculpt an animal, I literally put a board in front of me. I tack up all the pictures,
0: mm-hmm. and I
2: constantly refer to them as I sculpt or as I paint or as I fur. Yeah, and that's a big help.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to find that if you just do Google image search. You'll have like one picture. <laughs> And then another picture of a different fox.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about the magazine, they're gorgeous photographs. Oh, yeah. are printed on glossy paper taken by fabulous photographers. I yeah. <laughs> can't go wrong. And so and then if I do download something and print it out, that just gets added to that hard file and that file mm-hmm. just gets bigger and bigger because I find that. Well, you probably know if you've done display and you've done events and you've done theater and you've done television and you've done film, there are certain animals that you will do more than once. I have done horses. I have done cows. I have <laughs> done penguins, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and they come up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Oh. So it's well, good to have all those patterns and research and everything. Right. Yeah. So yeah. true.
0: Well, thank you so much, Zoe, for sitting down with us today. Um, don't worry, everybody. We're going to have Zoe back on next week to chat a little bit more about freelance life in New York and all the business side to that and a little bit more stories on some props she's made. Thank you for listening in and make sure to follow us on Twitter at Silk Mache and email us with any questions or ideas at propspodcast at com.
1: And subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, and check out our website at silkflowersandpapermachehearts.com, where you can find all of our old episodes.
0: This has been another episode of Silk Flowers and
1: Paper Mache Hearts with your hosts, Eric Hart
0: and Ashley Flowers. We'll see you next time.